Well, good evening and welcome to our Sunday night service. For those of you who join us on a regular basis, you'll realise I'm talking to you from inside the building. That's our church building, of course. And what you might see as the camera pans around is that there's a whole lot of activity been happening whilst we haven't been able to gather together in a physical sense. So as we anticipate a relaxing of restrictions and can see for the first time the possibility of being able to gather together again, how good will it be to join together and into a freshly painted building? Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name's Rob Ryan and I'm a regular here at the Sunday night service. I'm also part of a connect group, uh, a group of guys that meets with Mark Reeves on a Wednesday night. And Peter's invited some of the connect groups who may want to help out running the Sunday night services. So I'm service leader tonight and later on you'll hear some other members of the connect group uh, contribute with things like the Bible reading, the prayers, and I think we've got a testimony as well. Later tonight, we're going to hear from our senior minister, John Thorpe, as he unpacks the Bible passage. We are continuing in our series in 1 Peter, and tonight we're looking in particular at the theme or the idea of submitting to authorities. And, uh, and John's going to be delving into that in some ways and uh, helping us to understand perhaps how we could live as foreigners, as Christians, within our culture and how we can relate to our authorities in a way that's God-honouring and may in fact prompt some uh, conversations with non-believers who might notice a difference in us. A big thanks to all our musos who have been recording live music for us each week now for several weeks. So before we join together in song, let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have right now to gather together. Even though physically apart we are, we know that we can be united with each other and with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray now as we gather together in song that you will be with us and that we will be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We 
specifically for his encouragement for us to live lives that honour your name in a world that does not recognise you. This is such a struggle sometimes when many of our leaders and leaders of this world ignore you for their own very selfish political gain. Please help us to submit to our government while also continuing respectful criticism where it is due. In regards to our local church family, thank you for the opportunity to still meet using this technology. We pray that those who miss meeting together will look forward to that time when we can do that again and that time will come soon. We pray specifically for the Thorpes, for John, Sarah, Lucy, Belle and Matt. We thank you for them, for the blessing they are, all, they are to all those in their lives. We pray for John as he continues to figure out how to run church in such strange times. We pray for them all as they start to enjoy more freedom as the lockdown is relaxing. We also Think of the Stacys today and pray for them, for Pete, Beck, Jess and Sarah, and for Joe and Jono, particularly as they continue to mourn for Jude. Please bless them all and continue to comfort them in their grief. Please help Pete to continue to run the evening church podcast, and they will all stay safe and enjoy the small easing and restrictions. And Lord, we bring before you two specific groups run in our church, for the Community Pantry, for their impact on the community, that many people will continue to receive help from them, particularly in these stressful times. We also give you thanks for the maintenance ministry 
that we may continue to be thankful for all the often unseen work they do. And God, we thank you so much for the safe country in which we are living, particularly now when we see some countries across the world continuing to pay a huge price for complacency and lack of respect for your world. We pray that we in Australia will learn from this pandemic to be humble and to cease worshipping the false idol of the economy. We are aware of some of the benefits of this pandemic, that your creation has been able to regrow to some extent, and some of the pollution we've become so accustomed to has reduced. We also pray not only for those who are affected directly by the virus, in illness and in death sometimes, and their families. We also pray for those who have lost jobs, or those who are in the process of losing them. We thank you for those plans uh, to assist those people who are losing jobs, but we also are mindful of those who might slip through the cracks and that they will be adequately cared for. We also pray for those who are suffering emotionally, financially and physically from an increase in domestic violence. We pray for those who are perpetrating that violence, that they will step forward and ask for help. And God, we think of Ian Renitz and his role as hospital chaplain, that you'll help him and his team to engage with people whilst maintaining a social distance. Please help them to help those who are struggling with illnesses in hospitals and their families, particularly as visitors are so heavily restricted nowadays. And finally, we thank you for our brothers and sisters down the road in Jeringong Anglican Church. We pray particularly for the staff, Steve Layson, John Clare and Kaz Morton. Please bless them all, keep them safe, as well as the rest of their church and that they will be able to continue to meet using platforms such as these. We bring all these to you in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 17 Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the Emperor. Hi, my name is John Thorpe. I'm the minister here at Shell Harbour City Anglican. And let me pray as we get into this passage from 1 Peter. Dear Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray that I might speak to it clearly and apply it faithfully as we seek to live honouring you. Amen. People often talk about the rise of individualism in our culture. Uh, and individualism is where we make life all about me. It's about my self-esteem, my self-worth, you know, my happiness. And one of the dangers of individualism is we lose a sense of perspective about how our actions and our, how our behaviour impacts others. We certainly see how they impact us. If someone walks into the room and they're a bit grumpy or a bit eeyore, 
then we can see how that impacts our mood. And certainly at work, you know, with our boss, if we see them cutting corners and if they're willing to bend the truth uh, to seal the deal, then we feel that it's acceptable for us to do the same thing. And often in our culture, right and wrong is defined less in terms of uh, a moral absolute and more in terms of consequences. You know, what's the outcome? And if I'm happy with the outcome, then that is acceptable. And certainly we're happy to be generous, but we're generous on our terms. And we're always starting with, well, how does this impact me? And then maybe, uh, how might I do good for others? But as Christians, we are called to think and to live differently. We're called to look at the world through a lens that, that God has given us, where we ask, well, how does my behaviour impact others? How do I point people to the goodness of God? And so in any given situation, we need to ask questions like, you know, how do my actions impact my relationship with God? How do my actions bring honour or dishonour to God for those who are observing me? And how do my actions make being a Christian either more or less compelling as people see how I live? And contrary to popular opinion, it starts with recognising that we are not at the centre of the galaxy. So we are not the sun. Uh, God is the sun. He's at the centre of everything. Uh, but we're not even like, you know, the, that beautiful planet we call Earth. Uh, God reserves that for someone else. Uh, as Christians, we're a little bit more like the moon. Uh, no one you know, gives a lot of glory to the moon, uh, but it certainly has a significant influence and impact on our planet, and it reflects the light in darkness. So it's not about me first. It's not even about me second. It's about me third. So, so far in this letter, you know, Paul has focused on uh, who we are as Christians, uh, so we are chosen by God with a secure future and a present living hope. And we ha have all of that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're wondering, well, sort of why do Christians always come back to the cross and the resurrection? It's because at the cross, Jesus pays the price for our sin. And the resurrection is the proof that that price has actually been paid. But it also allows us to look forward to the future. That as Christ has been risen, so we look forward to also rising again. And so right now that gives us an inexpressible and glorious joy. Uh, and like anything that gives us joy, we want to share it. And so in the words of verse 9 from last week, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. And that really marks a transition in this letter for Peter. So, so far he's talked a lot about who we are in Christ. And now he moves to talk about how we should live in the world and how we should live as Christ's ambassadors and how our behaviour impacts our relationship with God, but it also impacts our relationship with other people and, more significantly, their relationship with God. And so the passage we're looking at today is part of a bigger unit. Uh, the first couple of verses work as an introduction and then it goes on to talk about what does it look like to submit in the world. Uh, and today we're just going to look at one area of submission, which is how do we submit 
to those who have responsibility and authority over us in society. And so we start uh, at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. These Christians are not literally foreigners and exiles, but they certainly do stand out as different. Their belief in God, their values, how they participate in society all sets them apart. And part of being different means turning away from sinful desires that previously would have just been considered socially normal. And as we read the whole letter, we get a sense of perhaps what those sinful desires are. And so earlier in the letter, in chapter 2, we read, Therefore rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. And then a little bit later in chapter 4, we'll read, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. So sinful desires are a combination of attitudes, you know, like malice and envy and lust, but also behaviours, you know, like deceit and drunkenness and orgies. You know, we see sex as a moral issue, and that partly reflects our cultural heritage. Uh, but back then in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, there are very few limits around sexual behaviour, and particularly for men. And so for Christians living in this world and living with these sorts of sexual values around them, you can imagine just how difficult it was to turn their back on that former way of life. You know, for starters, these feelings are deeply ingrained in our nature. Lust and wanting to be you know, sexually desirable are pretty deep human emotions. And we see those desires played out you know, today in things like pornography. Uh, because it's anonymous, it feels perhaps victimless. Uh, rationally, we know that it's personally and relationally damaging. Uh, but in the moment, uh, those desires simply overwhelm any sense of you know, future consequence. Or perhaps we could look at something like envy. Because there's always someone who we feel has it better than us. You know, we look at our friends, we look at social media. Uh, there are people who are more beautiful than us. Uh, they're fitter than us, they have more, they've got a, a nice house, a nice car, they have nice clothes. And we look at them and we feel our life would just be so much better if we had what they have. And so we're always looking for something different, uh, someone else different, or perhaps just something more. And there's a multi-billion dollar media industry that wants to keep us in sort of a constant state of you know, hopeful dissatisfaction, where life would be good if you just have that little bit more and they can make it possible right now for four easy monthly payments. And so as Christians, you know, we often try to counter this message of our culture by talking about the negative consequences of these sorts of choices. So we try to convince people of why pornography or premarital sex will you know, negatively impact their relationships in the future, uh, or how drunkenness you know, is going to you know, lead to you know, crashing the car, or gossip will always come back and bite us in the end. And those things might be true, but they still make life all about me and how my behaviour impacts my happiness. 
And what we miss in that sort of thinking is how does my behaviour impact my relationship with God? And so the way we live speaks to our allegiance. And these sinful desires want to tempt us away from putting our hope in the salvation we have in Christ for that momentary sense of pleasure and desire. And so in the words of Peter, these desires wage war not just simply against our life satisfaction, but against our soul. You know, as Christians, we are clearly not perfect. Uh, even as we have the Holy Spirit you know, shaping us and moulding us to be more like Christ, we are still going to let ourselves down. We're still going to let God down. But I think the real problem starts to happen when we no longer care about our sin. And when that happens, then we need to look at ourselves because we're in a perilous place. And one of two things has happened. Either we're not really Christian at all and we're just sort of you know, going along with, with the vibe around us, or we are a Christian, but we've got out of step with God's spirit and we've lost our way. Uh, we, either which way, uh, when we see that in ourselves, we need to recognise it, uh, we need to repent and we need to turn back to God. And thankfully, we know that God will forgive us because Christ has paid the price for our sin. And so our behaviour doesn't just impact our salvation, it also impacts or potentially impacts the salvation of others. And so verse 12, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We can't go out and get drunk and sleep around and gossip about our friends and then turn around and say how wonderful it is to be a Christian. If we do that, how in the world is anyone going to take us seriously? And as much as we would love to say, you know, look at Jesus and don't look at fallible Christians like us, uh, it's impossible to separate the two because as Christians, we represent Christ. And so we need to show the world around us how being a follower of Jesus makes a positive difference. And so as people look at us and as they see the good deeds we do, then hopefully, God willing, they start to see those things that they thought were wrong and ridiculous perhaps aren't so ridiculous after all. And then they'll go on to see that uh, sin really doesn't provide the satisfaction that it promises and that they really do need a saviour. And that will lead them to the point of repenting and then one day standing before God uh, with us and giving him the glory that is his due. And it starts with us doing good. And one way that we do good uh, is to be good citizens. So verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And literally the first line should read, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human creature. And it then goes on to talk about human creatures who have authority within society. And so in the context of 1 Peter, we have the emperor and the governors. And the message is as Christians, we should be good law-abiding citizens. 
You know, the early Christians weren't particularly trusted within society. You know, they were considered a bit subversive. They didn't follow the same gods. They didn't sacrifice to the emperor. And they gave a status to slaves and women that was just far above and beyond uh, anything that was considered socially acceptable at the time. And so therefore threatened, you know, the, the social status quo. And so Peter writes to these Christians and he wants to say, be such good citizens that you are seen as an asset and not a liability. And as you live these good lives, people will then see the Christ that you follow. And I think a good example in our context is Christian schools, because schooling is one of those points where uh, our Christian world uh, intersects our more secular society. Uh, and every now and again you'll read an article or opinion piece in the paper about how Christian schools shouldn't receive government funding because we don't reflect the values of our community. And what they usually mean is Christian schools don't reflect their values, and usually in the context of you know, sex and sexuality. And so they see you know, Christians as dangerous and Christian schools as dangerous. And so they either want the state to sort of enforce you know, state-recognised values or, or better still close down Christian schools altogether. And so how should we respond to that? How should we respond to that sort of intolerance? Well, I think as a starting point, as good citizens, uh, we should pay our taxes. Uh, so we are contributing as much as anyone uh, to the education of our children. I think secondly, we want to show people how our faith contributes positively to education, uh, that our young people come out you know, well-educated uh, as well as you know, well-adjusted into our community, and how we you know, love and care for every student, irrespective of their you know, worldview or faith perspective. And when we do that then we commend ourselves to our community and we make it that much harder for those people to hate, who hate us to get any subtraction for their hate. So as Christians living in the world, we need to do good and we need to make sure that we don't do evil. And so verse 16, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Peter is writing to Christians who have a newfound freedom in Christ. And in a world where most people were slaves, uh, this is incredible. It completely changes their perspective of who they are and how they fit in the world. But with that freedom can also come the temptation to justify all sorts of evil, where we no longer feel that we're responsible to those who have authority over us. We don't feel that we're responsible to the law of the land. Or we feel we can say all sorts of things online uh, because we're on the side of right, uh, but we forget that how we say things is just as important as what we have to say. You know, we live in a democracy. We have the right to say what we want. We have the right to protest. Uh, and certainly as Christians, we have a responsibility, in the words of Psalm 82, to defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. But we do need to do things in a way that gives due respect to those who have authority over us. But you can understand for these new Christians how they want to use this freedom and this newfound understanding of you know, who they are 
uh, to you know, try to overturn the social structures around them and the injustice that they experienced as part of you know, Roman culture. But for Peter, his greater concern is for people's salvation and that our behaviour as Christians and how we live as good citizens might commend Christ to those around us. And so there's a tension. Uh, we want to uh, act in a way that brings justice in our community, uh, that fights injustice, that looks after the poor and the weak and the oppressed. And as we do that, uh, as we seek to be godly in these things, as we seek to bring Christian values into our community, not only is it good for our community, but it will also commend Christ to people. And I'll point people to the salvation and the hope that we can have in him. You know, Peter wraps up this section uh, with this sort of wonderful summary of how we live in society. You know, verse 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. We don't have an emperor, but you get the idea. You know, how we live in the world is complicated. And so often we don't know just the right thing to do in any given situation. But a good start is to recognise that as Christians, life is not all about us. And when we recognise that, then it shifts our perspective. We start to recognise how our behaviour impacts our relationship with God and how our behaviour impacts other people and their relationship with God. You know, so often we feel that no one particularly notices or cares what we do. But everything we do uh, creates a story. And we want our story to tell about God's goodness and mercy and grace. And we want that story to be writ large, not just in our words, but in our lives. You know, so that, you know, picking up the words of our passage, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen. We're going to hear now from one of the other blokes in my connect group, our connect group, Steve Jessup, who's going to share with us his testimony, his story about how he came to know Jesus, about how his life was changed forever. Well, Steve and I are here today as part of um, my Bible study that's been meeting uh, this year. We've had a great time with about half a dozen men, and Steve's um, uh, willing to share his testimony now, which is fantastic. So, Steve, can you tell us a little bit about how uh, you came to know the Lord? Sure. Uh, well, I grew up in a, a home that I would consider wasn't a Christian home. Um, my father had a loose belief in God. Um, he had a semi-Christian upbringing with going to church. Um, but, yeah, never, never a solid uh, Christian upbringing. So my family, when I grew up, uh, I went to Sunday school uh, when I was quite young, yep. an old Church of England, uh, old stone building, 
And I do remember parts of that. Um, and then I went to scripture at school when there was Catholics and Protestants. We got divided off. Yeah. I went off to uh, Protestant scripture right. classes. And, and that would be the foundation of my Christian learning when I was young. Right. Yeah. Uh, was there a, a particular person or uh, a passage, a talk, or something that really uh, made a big impact at that stage? Uh, I was four years old. I got run over by a tractor, as you, wow. as, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I come back to school half a year later. It rang my leg over. And uh, I was all right. And she said, look, God's got a reason for you to live. And yeah. that really hit me. Yeah. Uh, it, re it really impacted me. I remember moments in my life when I would have faith and pray. I remember teaching my, my brother. We uh, shared the same room. We had bunks. And we would say the Lord's Prayer every night. Yeah. Um, and I remember praying at night in bed. And I remember in times of crisis, I was in a cyclone once down the snow. And it was throwing caravans, ripping them out of the ground. It was crazy. I remember we got moved into a car because uh, it was the safest place at the time. And I remember praying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, my dad said, oh, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying. <laughs> he wow. said, oh, good. <laughs> Pray for us. You know? yeah. What's been some of the biggest challenges you've found uh, walking the Christian life? I just had it on my heart. I don't want to go through life not knowing God and not having the chance to experience God in my life and what that would be like. Yeah. So I took myself to church. Well, actually, I asked my sister because she knew a Christian. I didn't know any Christians, could you believe that? Uh, <laughs> and I said to her, oh, your friend that's a Christian, can you ask her what church I should go to? And at the time it was a Church of, uh, church of Christ up in Parramatta. I was turned up by myself, long mullet sort of looking haircut, flannelette shirt. I said, <laughs> you would have fit in Parramatta. <laughs> I could go there now. <laughs> um, and, and they said, g'day, who are you with? And I said, uh, no one. And I, they said, you, have you been here before? And uh, they knew I hadn't. I said, no, first time at church. Mm. Oh, great, you want to sit with us? I said, uh, yeah, okay. And we sat down the front. Right. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> uh, I started going to Bible study, and I found Bible studies where I grew the most. I was just blown out at the Christians I had met that I didn't even know existed in the world. Mm. And I literally thought, what a bunch of nice people that I had no contact with. Well, thanks, Steve, for mm. joining us today and being willing to share mm. your testimony with us. I've been really encouraged. I'm sure we mm. all have as well. So as we finish our time together tonight, and we will uh, have the opportunity to reflect on what John has shared, we can also look forward, perhaps now more than ever, to the prospect of being able to meet together again, not just spiritually, but physically in this place. As we've heard in the news this week about the lifting of restrictions and the small signs about how we will soon be able to return to normality. I know myself how much I look forward to being together with everyone in this place and to hear our senior minister John Thorpe say those words, how good is it to be together? So as we finish our time together tonight with that hope and that desire to be together again in a physical sense, I might just close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the time that we've had together tonight, bonded together spiritually as we have spent time in your word and heard it explained to us. We pray now that as we leave this place,
that we will be challenged by what John has shared and that we will be seeking to be different this week as we reflect on how we will respond to authority in our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Good evening and I look forward to seeing you all again next week.